This morning I'm going to begin reading verses 11 through 24. And in these verses, we will now come to the conclusion of chapter 1. So it's quite a large section of scripture we're going to be looking at this morning. Galatians chapter 1, 11 to 24. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when he who set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. And then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. And I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now in what I am saying to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. And I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were gladly, I'm oh, sorry, and they were glorifying God because of me. Let's pray. Lord, as we sang earlier, we need you. Oh, how we need you, Lord, to take your word that is living, it is powerful, it is indeed your word how we need, Lord, your Holy Spirit to make it come alive to us. And I would pray now, even now, Father, through the foolishness of my preaching, that you would cause your word, Lord, to either quicken hearts, convict hearts, to break hearts that are proud, and also, Lord, to bring hope, encouragement in the gospel to those hearts, Lord, who feel the weight of their sin. We all pray, oh Father, help us to see Christ in these pages of Scripture. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your notes in front of you. I'd like to sort of fill in a little box at the top of your notes and help you understand before we delve into this passage to try to explain how this portion of Scripture fits into the overall plan of the book of Galatians. I came across, I thought, a very helpful brief summary of the the, uh, structure of the book, if you will, of the book of Galatians. Maybe this will help you as we make our way through it to make sense of where we are in the book. So if you'll notice, uh, particularly chapters 1 and 2, chapters 1 and 2 of Galatians is best summarized by one key word, and that word would be biography. It's a lot about Paul. It's a lot of Paul giving a short summary of his spiritual autobiography. We'll talk more about why he does that a little later. But the key verses in this first section of chapters 1 and 2 is verses 11 and 12 of chapter 1. 
And in those verses, he's insisting that he is a, an apostle, a capital A apostle, we called it. He is proclaiming the true gospel of grace. And this section is going to focus on what God has done. That's the first section, biography. The second section, chapters 3 and 4, are best summed up in the word theology. Theology. Paul is providing theological clarification regarding what is this gospel of grace. And so he's going to explain that being declared right with God is on the basis of faith alone in Christ alone. The key verse for that particular section is Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. And this section is going to teach us not about Paul, not about understanding what God has done. This is a section that's going to be on what we are to believe. What are we to believe about the gospel of grace? Now the third section of the book, chapters, what, five and six, here we go, divides easily into three sections. It deals with primarily ethics. First biography, then theology, now ethics. And in these chapters, the Apostle Paul draws out a number of practical applications for everyday life. And a good summary verse for this section is Galatians 5, verse 6. Galatians 5, verse 6. And this section instructs us on how to live. So I hope you have that in mind now in terms of the overall structure of how the book falls into some sort of uh, uh, organization. And we're going to look this morning in considering this first section. The first section is summarized by what word? Oh, okay. Five of you are listening. That's good. Okay. Biography. So Paul's writing these verses in this first section, chapter 1, particularly uh, what we looked at last week and now what we're looking at today. He's trying to respond to two allegations. The first allegation is he was not a true apostle. He's responded to that. The first part, we already saw that first 10 verses of chapter 1. Now, the second allegation is that the gospel of grace, which Paul proclaimed to these Galatian churches, it is alleged that during that first missionary journey, he gave them and presented to them a second-hand gospel. He got a hand-me-down from somebody else who got it from somebody else who got it from somebody else, and they didn't get it just right. It's a second-hand gospel, an inferior gospel, that he probably had some part in inventing and making up himself. That's the allegation. And so Paul devotes a large portion of this letter, really two chapters, is going to deal with these allegations, trying to refute them. And therefore we come to verses 11 and 12, in which Paul says in chapter 1, I would have you know that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now let me just clarify again, just so I'm not assuming you know anything here, but we're saying the gospel of grace is the good news that God, according to his own good pleasure, provided his own sinless son, Jesus Christ, to atone for the sins of those who believe in him. And salvation is received as a gift through faith alone, not on the basis of performing good works. And so Paul is adamant. He says, I did not invent this gospel of grace. The gospel of grace is not a human 
invention. Now, when an inventor comes up with a clever invention or gadget or item, for example, this water bottle, when they come up and they design, you're going to design a water bottle that's unique and different from all other water bottles, let's say, and you want to have the idea and the hope someday of manufacturing this water bottle and you want to market it, you want to be able to sell it. Well, one of the first things you're going to do after you've designed it is what? You're going to patent it. You're going to get, make sure there's a patent. And actually, if you look on the bottom of this thing, by thermos, it says it's patent. There's a patent on this design. It's actually quite nice. I like this water bottle. You push one thumb button here, it pops all the way open. Somebody designed that. I like that. Because when I've got, when I've got some in my hands, I'm able to, I don't go to the water now, but anyway, and it, it locks nice. It's got a nice, it's great. I love these water bottles. So, thermos says, I don't want anybody, we don't want anyone taking our idea. And what you do with a patent is, it, it, it is secures the right of ownership. That is our design, our bottle, no one else can have one like it. And securing this patent gives you the exclusive rights then to manufacture, to make it, to sell it, since you came up with the idea and it's your product. Now as I said in the title of the sermon here, the gospel of grace will never ever be patented by anybody. The gospel is according not to man. It's not according to man. Verse 11, no one, not the Apostle Paul, not the Apostle Peter, not the religious leaders in Jerusalem, not any church or organization can claim to have invented the gospel of grace. No person or human institution can claim ownership of the gospel of grace. And in this first section of the epistle, Paul is refuting the claims of those who were distorting the gospel. And in this personal section, we're going to find three, right, three reasons this morning why the gospel of grace is not invented by humans, especially that human Apostle Paul. It's not invented by him at all. So the first reason we're going to put forward here this morning as we find this text is that the gospel of grace reveals our inability, our inability to gain sufficient merit to earn our salvation. Paul reminds his readers, as he goes through the text here in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, he reminds his readers of what his character and reputation were like prior to his conversion to Christianity. His life before he was saved was focused, I'm going to suggest to you, primarily on himself. Now, he may have argued at the time when he was, an un, uh, when he was a, uh, a very de- dedicated Pharisee, he would say, oh, I, I'm very much focused on God. But I would suggest to you his life before he was saved by grace was primarily focused on himself. You say, well, give me some proof. Come on. All right? Notice in verses 13 and 14. Notice the number of pronouns, first-person pronouns, in which he alludes to himself. He says, I used to persecute the church of God. I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism. I was being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. I, I, I. Paul was highly motivated to outperform his peers in religious requirements of Judaism. He sought to advance 
Notice what he says there, verse 14. Beyond many of his contemporaries, he's extremely, more extremely zealous than the other people around him. What's he doing? He's comparing himself, saying, I'm ten steps ahead of these people, as he looked around him. And such devotion was driven, I would, would propose to you, it was driven by a sense of self-advancement. I want to make sure that I am not lacking. I am not going to be left behind. I want to be in the front of the class. And so because of this zeal, out of control, I would call it fanatical zeal, Paul indeed became fanatic. He was determined to gain his own righteousness by keeping the law, Philippians 3. And self-focused fanaticism eventually led him to become a person who was not full of righteousness. He became a person who was full of hatred. His heart of pride developed an intolerance for other people who did not conform to the standards and all these rules that he diligently was pursuing. And so he tried to destroy the church of God. How did he do it? Violently persecuting those who proclaimed the gospel of grace. And so as he looks back onto his former life, Paul paints an unflattering picture of his former condition. His religious, he was religious to the max, but he was rotten to the core. Indeed, his early life provided indisputable evidence that outwardly following and attempting to follow ethical and cultural codes of conduct does not make a person acceptable with God. He utterly failed to change his heart. His zeal to improve his standing among his peers could not measure up the fact that he was a blasphemer, he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He was a blasphemer and he was a violent hothead. And so Paul, the pious Pharisee, because of all of this fanatical zeal, had blood on his hands. He was the one who made sure that Stephen was stoned for doing absolutely nothing wrong. He was proclaiming the truth. And many other Christians that he rounded up and made sure that they were either thrown in prison or else killed. It was Paul, Saul, who noticed that his, his religious devotion, oh, he was re- very religious, and yet he was full of bigotry, and hatred. One reason why Paul did not invent the gospel of grace was why? Because he was vehemently opposed to the gospel of grace in his early life. He tried his best to outperform all his peers in keeping all these religious traditions, but he could not bring his heart into conformity. And so what we have with the Apostle Paul And what we learn from this is the gospel of grace exposes hearts. It exposes our hearts, it exposes the hearts of anybody who considers it and carefully looks at it. And and therefore, the gospel of grace exposes our hearts and demands that we admit that despite our best efforts, all of us have hearts that are corrupted by sin. None of us deserves God's favor. All of us deserve condemnation for breaking the standards and laws of God. And works righteousness, if that is what you're committed to doing, somehow trying to do something to compensate for this lacking of your inadequacy, 
it will often compel us to compensate for the fact that we defy God. We are opposed to God, and so we're going to find other ways to somehow cover up that reality. And we're left with this. This is what Paul was left with, Saul, before he was a Christian. He's left with these kind of thoughts. I am a better person than so-and-so. That's all he can do is compare himself to other people. Or he might say this, I need to be a better person. Because that compulsion is still there. He's got to try harder to improve himself. He says, or he might be saying, I am relying on my own efforts. I am doing the best that I possibly can. I'm going to push myself as hard as I can go. I hope I am doing enough, he might say to himself. Or maybe you've even said this to yourself, I keep trying to measure up. Talk about an effort in futility. Talk about a sad situation to be in. That is Paul laying it out there, telling his honest story. Reminds me of the time of how futile it is to try to become a better person and somehow change your heart in doing that. Years ago, I was in Michigan as a child, uh, went there with my family and saw the camp where my father attended years ago when he was a child on the shores, on the eastern shores of Lake Michigan. And in this particular area, there are lots of sand dunes. I mean, we're talking extreme sand dunes. I mean, dunes that go up like this. And there was one particular dune called Old, Old Baldy or something, that's what they called it, but there's no trees anywhere. And so the, my dad says, okay, let's climb this hill, the sand dune. So we're, you know, okay, no big deal. We're from West Virginia. We climb hills all the time. So we start up this hill, and guess what? Have you ever tried to climb in sand? You put one foot up, you push your foot on that sand, it just gives way. Put another foot up, it just gives way. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. What's going on here? It was the most frustrating thing I remember trying as a kid. I'm thinking, I'm never going to make the top there. And that is the sense in which if you're attempting to try to do better and be better, that's the kind of sense it will never change you on the inside. It leaves you exposed to your inability to have a changed heart. Boy, are we in need of grace. Look at the second point here, the second reason why we know the gospel is not invented by man. The gospel of grace is from God, about God, and accomplished by God. I'll repeat that. The gospel of grace is from God, about God, and accomplished by God. Notice in verses 15 and 16, Paul develops another important reason that, to prove the point, the gospel is not according to man, verse 11, he spotlights now away from his, himself and his own behavior. Now he's moving the spotlight to what? God. The spotlight now is on God. You can clearly see it in this text. God and his grace. Notice verses 15 and 16. God set him apart before he was born. It's God who called him through his grace. And God was pleased to reveal the Son of God in him. Paul alludes to God's sovereign grace. God set him apart before he could perform anything that would make him worthy of merit from his mother's womb. Even though later in life he fought against Christ, even though he fought against other people like as believers, as an adult, God called him into the gospel ministry on that road to Damascus on the basis of grace. 
He was the most unqualified person to ever be in gospel ministry. He was trying to destroy the church. So he had nothing to bring to that equation to say, well, look at me, consider me. No, he was called to the gospel ministry on the basis of grace and grace alone. He didn't deserve it. He didn't ask for it. He wasn't qualified for it. He was actually disqualified for it on many different levels. On the basis of God's undeserved favor, God revealed Jesus to Paul's heart. And Paul, by the grace of God, was able to see and understand and have insight into that Jesus is not just some fanatical person who died as a, in, in ultimate shame and disgrace, but Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the Savior of the world and the one that he was trusting to save him. God's gracious intervention, God's gracious revelation are the only ways to explain the life-changing power of the gospel. How else can we explain verse 23? This dramatic life transformation. The person who once persecuted the followers of Christ is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. Clearly, Paul did not invent the gospel because the gospel is all about God. God in grace, seeking and saving the lost. Now, I have in your notes some helpful quotes from Tim Keller. The first quote explains this, again, this idea of grace. Some of us don't understand grace. I want to just make sure you understand the concept of grace. Grace is free, unmerited favor God bestows on those who don't deserve it which transforms their minds and hearts and lives. That's verse 23. Do you see that? That's grace. And Paul was an illustration of how that grace does actually change people radically. I want us to read carefully the next quote because this is extremely extremely important to understand about the whole concept of why grace is so amazing to Paul and it ought to be amazing to us. Keller's next quote is, no one is so good that they don't need the grace of the gospel. Do you believe that? If you're not identifying with Paul and seeing yourself as a person who desperately needs grace, then you're not going to ever see the wonders of the gospel of grace. But he says, no one's so good that they don't need grace. We all need grace. Nor is someone so bad that they can't receive the grace of the gospel. I hope you hear that, my friend, because Paul is the one who's clearly going to affirm that. He knew he was unqualified on many different levels to do anything from God and to ever be right with God. And God, on the basis of grace, makes him right before himself on the basis of what Christ did for him. If you were to die tonight, your life were to come to an end, and you stand before God in heaven... And God, standing there in all of his glory, in his heaven, and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? How would you respond to that question? I believe that's one of the most important, significant questions you'll ever have to answer. Would you say something like what Paul would have said years ago, before he was a Christian? I lived a good life. I wasn't all that bad compared to so-and-so, 
I joined a church. I was baptized, whether as an infant or later in life or something. I performed the sacraments. I've donated to charity. Do you recognize that all those answers share something in common with each other? All of those answers reveal your own reliance upon your own good works. All of those answers center around yourself. They center around your accomplishments. The gospel, my friend, prompts us not to rely upon ourselves. The gospel prompts us to rely upon Christ, to rely upon the grace we receive in Christ, undeserved favor. I would suggest to you this is the Apostle Paul's answer that he would give to the question, why should I let you into my heaven? Here's what Paul, I believe, extracting it from various places he's written in the New Testament. Here's what he would say, first of all. He'd say, Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. Paul would say, by grace, by grace, I was saved through faith. I cannot take credit for this. It was the gift of God, not as a result of my good works. As one who was saved by the gospel of grace, I have nothing of which to boast. That's Paul's testimony. And then he would say something like this. He would say, where my sin increased. And I could just see the Apostle Paul going, yeah, it increased. I had a huge, huge debt of sin. Where my sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Then Paul would say something like this. I repented of my striving to be more extremely zealous for traditions. And now, to the glory of your name, O God, I am forever thanking you that your grace was more than abundant to save me, the worst of all sinners. That's his testimony, 1 Timothy chapter 1. You can read it. I find it fascinating that Paul went from saying, I want to be more extreme zealous, to saying, on the other hand, if you understand grace, I am more, God's grace was more than abundant to save me the worst of sinners. My friend, that is the evidence or the clarity of a testimony, clear testimony of someone who understands and whose heart has been impacted by the gospel of grace. Something that is from God, about God, and provided and accomplished by God. Is that your testimony today? Do you resonate with that testimony? Or were you the first testimony that says, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm not as bad as that person. My friend, come to Christ and see the vanity of all that. Give up that approach. Trust in Christ alone. Third point I want to emphasize this morning in understanding that the gospel is not something that someone invented, even Paul. The effect of the gospel of grace is to increase God's glory, not our own. Not our own. In the section of verses in 17 to 24, Paul goes to great lengths to explain his whereabouts. It's almost as if he's giving an explanation of where he was, where he spent all this time, who he talked to, who he's interacting with. And you can tell this, somebody's pointing a finger at him. They're accusing him. 
putting him into a corner. And so he's trying to explain, hey, look, man, I'll explain what's going on. He provides ample evidence to prove that he did not receive the gospel of grace from the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. He received the gospel of grace from Christ. Christ encountered him right there on the road to Damascus. Paul spent a great deal of time, about three years, out of the limelight. He's off in Arabia somewhere. We don't even know exactly what he was doing. Many, most commentators assume that he was studying the Hebrew scriptures and that he took a lot of time to grapple with these scriptures and look more carefully at them, and he was formulating his theological convictions now that he understood the gospel of grace, seeing Jesus in all these fulfillments of prophecies. He didn't spend much time with the early church leaders. Why? Because most of the Jewish believers were what? They were afraid of him. <laughs> Who would want to get close to him? He was instrumental in putting them to death, having them arrested. So nobody wanted to spend time with him. And so he's saying, look, so much so, I just snuck a trip down to Jerusalem one time, spent two weeks there, talked to a couple guys, visited. The word there is visited. I got to know them and try to ask a lot of questions, find out where they're coming from. Very brief visit there. And again, he admits in verse 22 that of those three or four years after his conversion, most of the church members in those churches there in Judea would not have even been able to recognize him. They would not know him as some well-known leader in the church. He was a nobody. I believe it's another proof of the divine nature of the gospel of grace. Paul, to have him remain, quote-unquote, invisible, to have him be in the background of the early church is a strong indication of how his heart had been radically changed by the grace of God. He no longer was seeking glory for himself, to be seen of men, which is what he was passionately living for, trying to outperform his fellow Jews. He was preaching now the true gospel of grace that he had received by divine revelation. And the gospel humbled him to the point that he forsook his passion to gain his own glory through extreme piety. Instead, verse 24, instead, he's passionately living his life out of the overflow of the wonders of being saved by grace. And in so living in this radical new way, He's bringing glory to God. Not to himself, but to God. People are impressed with God as they look at his life, not himself. Paul went away being strongly devoted from being seen of men. Until now he wants to let his light so shine that though people who see his various works of his life are impressed with God, they want to glorify God his Father in heaven. Instead of being the center of his own solar system, Paul assumed his proper place orbiting around the center of the universe. It's Jesus Christ. No longer striving to gain God's approval, Paul enjoyed the love of God. He was reveling in the grace of God and he lived a life to please God as he says in verse 10, a humble servant slave of God. That's what the gospel does to those who truly understand and apply grace to their hearts and lives. It humbles us. It helps us realize so much of life has been all about me. 
But the gospel of grace says, I want to make much of God because he is so gracious to an unworthy sinner like me. Is that the passion of your heart? When you do your day of work, whether if you're home with kids or whether you're off at school or whether you're employed somewhere, does your heart resonate to say, God, I want to make much of you today. I want people to be impressed with you, not with me. It's not about me. The power of the gospel is all about grace. And the motivation of Paul's heart had changed from this direction, (laughs) it's all about me, to this direction. Here's one more thing I'd like to add in terms of how we know the gospel is not invented by a person. May I suggest to you that the gospel of grace cannot be invented by me or Paul or Peter or anybody because no one would ever make up a belief system that makes so much of sin. Who wants to magnify and bring the issue of sin to such a a, a significant area of confrontation in your life? And who wants to make up a system that makes so much up about the threats of judgment that are rightly and justly going to be given to anyone who has offended a holy God? Surely that's not invented by some human. No one would come up with a concept like salvation by grace alone, which makes it impossible for anyone to take one ounce of credit if they ever are the recipients of that free gift of eternal life. No one would ever come up with requiring repentance and denying oneself and taking up one's cross as an essential element of what it means to follow Jesus if God didn't reveal it as the truth of the gospel. I want to end with one thing here again. I attribute this to Tim Keller. He says, in the gospel of grace, God says to us these amazing words. God says, with you, despite your sin, despite your unworthiness, despite the fact that you don't deserve it, with you, I am well pleased because of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not according to man. The gospel of grace is according to God. To Him and to Him alone be all the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You again. Oh, how we thank You, Father. For those of us who have had Your grace work in our hearts, to reveal our sin. Oh, Father, how we acknowledge how unworthy we are. Lord, when we are fully exposed before you, oh, how we feel the weight of our sin and shame. Father, we know it's grace that we'll be able to see that. I pray that there is all of us here today, Lord, help us to see how many ways we have offended you how far we've fallen short, how we like Paul. It's all about living for ourselves. Lord, help us to humble ourselves through your grace to recognize our need of a Savior. Help us to realize how foolish and how vain it is to try to become a better person to impress God or anybody. Because, Lord, none of us can change our wicked hearts. 
But I pray, Lord, that you would cause us today to celebrate and to celebrate Jesus and to celebrate the wonders of his grace that can change a wicked heart like ours. Lord, help us who feel the weight of our sin to also sense the glories of the gospel that says that although we don't deserve it, that you, O Lord, are pleased, well pleased with us because of Christ and what he's done for us on the basis of grace and grace alone. Father, I pray today that you might cause our hearts to be filled with wonder at the gospel that has been revealed by you and that you might reveal it to us in a fresh and a wondrous way, Lord. Open the eyes of our hearts to appreciate Jesus and to be so overawed and amazed and overjoyed by the wonders of his grace, his love, and his substitution for us and the sufficiency of all that he has done for us on the cross of Christ. May our time in fellowship with you, Lord, around this table redound to your glory. May we make much of you during these moments. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.